This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello and welcome to Talking TV, I'm Jake Cantor. Coming up this week, government plans for the BBC send shockwaves through the industry, plus Sky hopes for creative dynamite as it takes a stake in Blast Films. Also on the programme, we'll put the Javon Print show in the spotlight and hear from producer Phil Bowker. Finally, our usual brace of previews. Find out if it's worth watching BBC One drama Partners in Crime and BBC Three's The Unbreakables, Life and Love on Disability Campus. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. Here at Talking TV Towers, we have broadcast editor Chris Curtis and entertainment producer Stephen D. Wright. Hello, gents. Hello. Morning, Mr. Cantor. You've just been on holiday, Stephen. Uh, yeah, I think you should have said tan gorgeous. Tan and producer gorgeous, Stephen, Stephen D. Wright. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Pale and pasty broadcast editor Chris Curtis. Yeah, the uh, same goes for me, to be honest. Mm. Uh, holiday would be welcome. It's holiday time now in TV. Yeah. No one's going to think yeah, about work for another six off weeks. Now, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Uh, no one's can- even going to listen to this. <laughs> Everyone always listens to this. Maybe this is, on the beach. Uh, on exactly. The beach. This is the Perfect. beach special. They can catch up with the back catalogue We should as have. Well. We should have sun, sea, seagulls, you know, sound effect in the background. Yeah. As long as you don't put some Bermuda shorts on, Stephen. Matt, Matt, our producer, can sort that out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, first up, we'll head over to Auntie, who has rolled up her sleeves and begun the fight back. Uh, following the green paper on charter renewal, which contemplated a smaller BBC, the corporation came out swinging, claiming that if the government gets its way, it will lead to a much diminished, uh, less popular broadcasting institution. It kicked back at the idea of retreating from genres including entertainment and drama, selling its commercial arm BBC Worldwide and turning the licence fee into a subscription model. The public can now have their say as part of a public consultation and they have spoken to broadcast this week. Uh, A survey of 2,000 people commissioned by our fair organ found that most want the BBC to continue airing shows like Strictly and believe the corporation represents better value for money than Sky and Virgin Media. Uh, Chris, let's start with the green paper, shall we? Do you think it will herald a, a much diminished, less popular BBC? Uh, potentially. I think that it w- you had to sort of read between the lines a little bit with the green paper because it's a series of questions and it's a series of, 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 of areas for debate rather than being a statement of government policy. But the questions are... It, it often very sort of you know they're negative questions they're slightly loaded questions there isn't a question that says do we think the BBC should be bigger do we think the BBC should have more money it's you know do you think it should be smaller should it have less money that that kind of thing one of the, the commenters on on the broadcast now um, added a, a, an extra question which was when did the BBC stop beating its wife and it, and that's kind of the the tone of the of the document so I I can completely understand why the corporation is nervous and uh, it's up to it to make the best fist it can of um, trying to come up with, um, you know, a sort of balanced response. I think, you know, the other thing is we've been really clear on broadcast about supporting the BBC. That's not to say the BBC doesn't need to change. You know, it's not to say there aren't areas where it could alter its strategy or row back a little bit. Um, But uh, you have to be careful that you don't get a situation where all of a sudden the BBC is a very different beast and if particularly if it starts retreating from some audiences I think that would be disastrous yeah I mean universality is the word that it keeps using yeah I mean it's it's the British broadcasting company it's not the London broadcasting company or the middle class broadcasting company or the factual you know it's uh, or the factual whatever it's broadcasting company it's for everybody and it always has been um 
this is you know from a from a viewer's perspective as well as a producer's perspective everybody wants the bbc to be better nobody wants it to be worse um and the, the terrifying thing about this is we can all see it going wrong at this stage you know there's there's, there's obviously uh, places they can do, you know, make cuts without necessarily causing uh, fractions uh, on screen or whatever. But there's so much risk here. That's why everybody's panicking because everybody, you know, you, you can't necessarily, it, you know, nothing particularly has ever done is done well in, in, in a massive organisation that's like the Indian Civil Service. You know what I mean? This is a huge, massive machine. And if the government sort of tilt one way and the BBC tilts the other, everybody's worried. That's that's the problem. It's not like the intellectual argument of can they make sort of savings? Can this be better? Can this be? It's it's it's, it's about what can go wrong. That's what everybody's sort of. That's that's the dread. You know, that is what everybody's worried about. And the idea of you know the Voice or Strictly or whatever, it's 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 nonsense. There's hundreds and thousands of hours of telly. It's not one show. It's never been one show you know, or one hiring or anything like that. It's just this thing of, will it go wrong? Mm. There you go. There's a voice of doom from Stephen <laughs> I mean, you've spoken about chasing ratings. I know you have a well, view this on, is that, one a of the things, on that. The, the Tories have said that they Because there, there is nuance in this debate, Exactly. Isn't there? I yeah. mean, they say, why should the BBC be competing with ITV on ratings? And personally, I agree with that. You know, I don't think the BBC should be trying to out ITV ITV. Saturday night is, as far as I'm concerned, IT, you know, X Factor, Ant and Deck, whatever... BBC should be offering an alternative, not the same. And that isn't necessarily a, uh, a kind of, I don't know, a negative. To me, that's, that's quite okay. That's about quality. Are you talking about aggressive scheduling? Aggressive scheduling is one thing. I mean, you, you, you know, sometimes you think that schedulers only, you know, it's almost like they're like cartoon characters, you know, scheduler versus scheduler. Nobody else cares in the way that schedulers care about each other's ratings. We want to have a good night's entertainment. That's all you do at home. You don't go, ooh, this is good for the BBC and this is good for... Nobody thinks like that. You just think, oh, I'll switch that on or I'll record this or whatever. But the, the schedulers are so nakedly against each other and they're, they're the ones that, you know, they all the BBC always wins Christmas. Uh, ITV always wins Saturday night or whatever. You know, it's like, who cares? Just give us, the viewers, good shows and the producers will make them. You know what I mean? So that sort of obsession at the BBC to try and outdo ITV, I think, is a bad thing, definitely. And if they could start to pull back a bit and say, you know what, with the BBC, we don't need to, 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 to try and, uh, you know, outgrow Sun and Cowell or whatever. Let's just make good shows. That's, that's all that I want. And uh, it seems like viewers share that opinion, given our, our survey findings this week. Well, I th you know, I think I, mean, I would absolutely defend the BBC's um, right to commission entertainment shows. Um, I would, you know, I, th I think it's perfectly possible to um, order entertainment shows that you think are going to be well received and people are going to enjoy without necessarily going hammer and tongs with ITV or ordering derivative uh, formats, that sort of side of things. Now, I mean, if you look back over, I don't know, the last five years, there, there have been plenty of examples in the BBC of where they've ordered incredibly distinctive, great programming that's that's been really successful. And there have been plenty of examples where probably they've ordered shows that they shouldn't have ordered. And I just think it, 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 there's nothing wrong with reinforcing or reminding or, or, or sort of restating what the BBC's sort of remit and purpose in entertainment programming. I think that will be a useful exercise, but I think you have to accept or you need to massively fight the case. The BBC should have a remit and a purpose in entertainment programming because if you start, if, if the BBC starts becoming an organisation that caters 
to dry and dusty PSB programming and that the audiences start to lose their immediate sort of emotional link to, and a show like Strictly would be a really good example of that, then that relationship between the public, the licence fee payers, uh, you know, and the BBC becomes weakened and who knows which way that, that leads. And just quickly, I mean, we've got a story on the front page of Broadcast this week which talks about the BBC being open to this German household levy. Uh, if the licence fee is scrapped. Now, it's probably unlikely that's going to happen this time around, but interesting that the BBC is talking about other options. And quite rightly, I think. But, uh, you, you know, again, it's really nuanced. The trouble with some of these debates is, particularly when they've been played out in the press, um, that, that some of, that's been happening over the last few months, is they've become very black and white. It's clear that the BBC is confident and wants the licence fee to continue, it's also clear that there's the licence fee under, under massive pressure and there's Tory scrutiny of it. And so, therefore, it's completely right that it should um, look at some alternatives. And I think with all these things, it's what... If you need to move position, how can you... Um, uh, try and win a, sm- a few small battles and not lose too much. And there's clearly things, the universality that you, you mentioned, that, that appeals to the BBC about a household levy. Everyone pays it. It would make, it would make collection easier, it would get rid of the iPlayer loophole. Um, evasion becomes less of, a, less of an issue. So there are lots of boxes that it ticks. It would probably end up being a lower sum of money. But, you know, it's, it's, it's about trying to um, mitigate the, the downsides and, and benefit from the upsides. OK, let's uh, move away from the BBC for now. Uh, and on to Sky, where a couple of interesting stories have emerged over the past fortnight. Uh, this week, the pay TV broadcaster snapped up an undisclosed majority stake in Blast Films, the indie behind shows including BBC Two's The Tube and Channel 4's The Night Bus. Uh, meanwhile, last week, a broadcast revealed that Sky One is stepping back from its 8pm factual entertainment strategy. Uh, the channel will instead focus on supercharging 9pm with the benefit of extra cash from Sky Living, which has now stopped commissioning original content. Um, Chris, let's just start with Blast, shall we? A decent purchase? Yeah, I mean, look, Blaster really, in terms of the, the genres that they work in, they're really good, reputable uh, producer. I mean, I think of them, I very closely associate them with Channel 4, rightly or wrongly, you know, probably... Um, Ed Coulthard probably sent me an email after this and listing all the BBC uh, commissions that they've that they've. But I, that's in my mind. That's the sort of association I have. Um, they've sort of emerged, I think, over their history from doing slightly more sort of esoteric uh, stuff in, into making more sort of populist uh, subject matter, covering more populist subject matter. I think they've done it really, really well. It's just in my mind. It's just another example of this sense of the true indie community. Um, thinking we the, the market's changing, we're ambitious, we want to evolve, and the, the best and easiest way to do that really is to to f- find a uh, an owner that, that you think is going to um, uh, share your ambitions, give you the right sort of creative and supportive environment, and uh, go from there. So it, just the latest stage in that in that change in the in the indie sector. What do you make of Sky buying up production companies? Um, I, I always say the same thing when this happens. I don't <laughs> I really know. know. We come I, up, we come up. It come, happens it all the time and I still can't work it out. It's almost a fortnightly basis. Exactly, and I can't about. work out what they're doing, um, really. Um, again, from a producer's perspective, anybody who's paying the bills is great. Uh, I like the idea of Sky getting involved with quality companies, but I can't figure out what the strategy is to put uh, majority stakes into indies and somehow be objective. That's where I worry because you know, will they be at the in-house? Will, will this is another way of doing in-house programming for Sky or, or what? I don't know. That's that's where I'm a 
a bit confused. Yeah. I don't think... I'll be amazed if... Um, so, uh, Blast's most recent appointment was a guy called Nick Hornby. He was a commissioner, in fact, until recently, a commissioner at Channel 4. I'll be surprised if the sensibility of Blast changes dramatically. Maybe they want to edge into some new genres. Maybe they want to try and um, create some shows on a slightly bigger scale. It doesn't feel an automatic fit, Sky 1 and Blast, for example. So, I think it's, it's more about them... Um, uh, I think it's a distribution play. You know, it's Jay Millerchip who runs Sky Vision, who's sort of linked to these these deals. And I think it, again, it just goes back to that traditional thing of actually IP ownership is an attractive thing mm. at the moment. Having having formats that you can exploit overseas, and um, that's what Sky's trying to build up a portfolio of companies where it thinks um, you know that that IP ownership can be a valuable asset. And Adam McDonald's eight PM strategy. Not been great, has it? Hasn't worked? Well, the answer is no, because if it had worked, they'd be continuing yeah. with it. They tried lots of different things, which I think is always good. One of the things that Adam told us is a lot of the shows they were acquiring from the screenings um, were actually pre-Watershed shows, could play quite happily pre-Watershed. And so some good quality US stuff at 8pm, a bit more money at 9pm. I mean, it's still it is still super difficult, I think, for Sky One to really cut through. Um, and that's it's about sort of changing the mindset of the viewing public. Um, also, listen, it's also the actual scheduling. Eight o'clock is really tough, tougher than anything. Seven o'clock, fine, you can watch The Simpsons. Nine o'clock, you can watch whatever. That eight o'clock slot is probably the hardest midweek slot there Which is. Which is probably why they try to tackle it. Well, exactly, it? because if you can get be that, you can get them all night or whatever. But mm. it's that, that the thing, you know, it's it's a it was a valiant effort to do it, and it was the right thing to touch to try and target it. Um, but it's one of those th- super tough slots. You're up it's, against the soaps. As well, that's well, you're up you? against the soaps for, for you know nearly every night. Mm. So it's one of those things. You know, it's really, really difficult. And it's and it's you will get the odd person, the odd thing, but you just won't get them all. That's the thing. Mm. It's, it's, and they've got and the d- Muppets at eight o'clock. The, Mupp- the that Muppets that might work. Yeah, the, Mupp- the Muppets <laughs> might, might work. work. I mean, we hope it does. I'll be watching it. Yeah. I'll Have you seen the trailer? I've seen it, and I will watch anything the Muppets do. Frankly, I mean, you know, <laughs> particularly if it's about them. Yeah, they're, they're kind of, lives. you know, they're sort of... They're, Their lives. They're... <laughs> yeah, it looks fun. I mean... The hipster uh, Muppets. Yond- Yonderland's come back, hasn't it, which is clearly quite mm. a distinctive and original show. They've got a few um, sort of sitcoms and things li- lined up. Um, they're certainly... There's a there's a big push on Sky One at the moment, and there's some work going on. You know, they've got a new slate. They they've got some new marketing messages going out. They're having a bit of a. I think it's probably a bit strong to call it a relaunch, but they're uh, a sort of a restatement of what what Sky's about. That sort of co-viewing, warm family. You know, families together. That, that's sort of the, I mean, the, the strategy. Thing, the thing about Sky is it's it's you know it, this is a long term thing. You know, it's not short term kind of scheduling. This is long term. This is trying to get people to think of Sky like ITV. We just flick it on and leave it on. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's what is slowly happening. Sky has, you know, in the last sort of five, ten years, has come right into the kind of the bundle of, of, of channels. It is now the other channel. Do you know what I mean? It's not something on digital that you flick down your yeah. kind of yeah. EPG for. It's there. It's, it's, people know what's on Sky. It's like it's so it's kind of working. You know what yeah. I mean? In that sense. And then sooner or later they'll hit on on something and it'll be a hit mm. and it'll you know they're in it for the long haul. You know, clearly. That's the thing. You know we should be encouraging Sky to be be experimental and trying different things. That's good news. Okay. Let's. Uh, well, we've just got time to to ponder a, a, a quick commission of the fortnight, and uh, that's Britain's next top model. Uh, which is being revived by Lifetime two years after it was cancelled by Sky Living. Uh, the 10-part series will launch in 2016 with Thumbs Up producing. Is this good? Well, I don't know. It's, it feels a bit sort of retro to me. It's like 
we've done all this. We've done all the top models, America's top models, new top models, this, that, and the other. It's like, oh, we're doing it. Is again. this not lifetime? Just saying, this is bankable, and we'll, well, we'll bring you know an what? I mean, to this. potentially, it's yeah. it's in, in you know, good news from a kind of creative editorial thing. Not really good news from a viewers thing. Here we are giving you stuff you love. Yes, I mean that's the thing. It's 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 money for old rope in that sense. You know, it's nothing new. It's like you'll you'll watch this the same show every year. Blah blah blah. You know it. it you know, it doesn't drive us all kind of crazy with, wow, that's exciting, unless you're a massive fan. And he's got form with this. They've done fifth gear as well, haven't they? Yeah, I think it's super smart, to be honest. I agree. I mean, look, I'm sure they'll try and play with the format a little bit and, 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 and give it a few tweaks, but it's fundamentally going to be the same show. Mm. It'll probably rate really well for Lifetime. Part of the thing about if you're a channel like Lifetime is is having some brands that people recognise so they come through to find yeah. the show. People, it's got a built-in fan base, right? That's that's been around for it's been around for for several years. So I think it's um, I, mean, I think it's really about Unreal, which is on Lifetime. I that, thought you might be an Unreal that's fan, brilliant. Stephen. Now that really is, you know, that's something that should definitely be talked up. That is a kind of vicious, horrible, nasty mirror of what we goes on in TV. Un- mm. You know, Unreal. If you're not aware, is a kind of a drama based on a behind the scenes of yeah. a reality. It's like a sort of almost a, a very dark spoof of The Bachelor or something exactly. like that. That's exactly what it is. It's and and all the producers are venal, evil, and you know narcissistic. People, which I don't recognise at all. No one recognises them. <laughs> None of us recognise that on Talk no. TV. Uh, those are your headlines for this week. Thanks to Chris and Stephen. Next up, a fresh take on the sketch show from part of the creative team behind E4's cult comedy, Phone Shop. The Javon Prince show debuted on Sunday, spilling over into BBC Two controller Kim Schillinglaw's 10pm slot, where the channel likes to show its knickers. Broad in its ambitions, Prince taps into his experience of growing up in London to produce humour unapologetically metropolitan in tone. And while it didn't deliver bumper ratings, Prince's work certainly won positive reviews. In a moment, producer and director Phil Balker will join me to discuss the show, but first, a moment from the first episode. In a send-up of Gogglebox, two characters give their verdict on the programme. Come, 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 come. That dude with the big heads back on. The one that looks like an embryo. Boy, I can't believe that the BBC let my man back on TV, innit? With his big head. I think it's got bigger since last time, you know. My man's lost weight, that's why his head looks bigger. I bet he's had a gastric band fitted. Mmm. Dear BBC. Bring back Lenny Henry and his normal size head. Hashtag, please get rid of this gastric band prick. That's getting tweeted right now. Do it. Uh, Phil, thanks for coming in. My pleasure, thank you. <laughs> this is your first project through your new indie, isn't it? Uh, lovely electricity. That is right, Jake. Yes. Take us back to the beginning then. How did it all... Was it cooked up on the on the phone shop set? It, you know what? It kind of was me and Andrew Brooke, right, who plays Ashley in phone shop, go back a long way. And um, I cast him in 15 Stories High years ago, which was Sean Locke's show. We really got on together. We both used to do telly sales years ago. And we had this shared love of sales and, the, you know, that sort of the ridiculous world of telesales. And so me and him started trying to write something and it kind of never quite came off and stuff. But then he was always telling me about Javon. He was always saying, oh, mate, I went to drama school with him. He's so funny. He's great. And he's like, oh, right, okay, well, you know, let's get together. And we got together and um, those two guys were just like hilarious because they're like brothers. Do you know what I mean? They know each other. They know each other so well. They went to drama school together. They've got so, so much shared history there with them. And I thought, we've got to do something with these guys, you know, got to, got, got to do a show. And... Um, 
I came up with the idea for phone shop and then sort of talked to those about it and we went and just did a little sort of mess around in the talkback basement and I had Martin Trenman writing upstairs for me. He was doing something and I was like, Martin, come down, come come and help out with this, come do this, come and do a little bit of mucking about and he was like, oh, all right. And he came down and we, we just played around with it. It was like, God, this is this is really nice. So anyway, that's what kind of went on to become phone shop. Jav used to do stuff as well. And Jav used to do these things like he did this this uh, the description of it sounds terrible and I've tried to bring it to life actually in one of the uh, in one of the episodes of his show. He used to do this sort of camp aerobic farting man, right? <laughs> So it was Jav doing this sort of kind of slightly camp kind of workout, but then just punctuating it with these little farts. And it was hilarious. And it was like, oh, my God, he's just, he's so funny. And when, you know, you spend any time with Jav, he's so charismatic, he's so charming, he's so funny, he's so smart. And it's like, we've got to do something with him. You know, and so I always said to him, we're going to do a show, we're going to do, do, do your show, we're going to have the Javon Prince show. And yeah. he's thinking, yeah, 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 Phil's just talking shit. It was like, mate, no, no, no. So, yeah, so so that, that's how we kind of sort of came about. The, 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 you know, it was... Um, and BBC Comedy Controller Shane Allen seems like a, a big supporter. Yeah. Does he share that vision, that, 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 that view of Javon that you have? Yeah, I think he does. He's um, Shane's been sort of so supportive of us you know both in terms of phone shop and in terms of this it's like when when we were um trying to get phone shop commissioned um and andrew newman was the uh the head of comedy at the time shane grew this big this huge sort of saddam hussein style beard it was massive he looked ridiculous and he was like i'm not going to shave this off until you commission phone shop that's the deal you know so uh so i mean you know and, what and did that's, he do this time round uh, to get into one print show right he grew his pubes really really long and said he wasn't <laughs> um so yeah he's he's been immensely su- supportive and and sort of you know got behind it and, and was like you know did everything he could to help us move it along you know which and he's talked about it being very broad in its ambitions rather than perhaps going down a, a more niche route on bbc3 what what was why was uh why was that well one of the things that shane said was you know the easy thing was to get a bbc3 commission for it you know uh he said but the real prize is getting this on bbc2 that's where it needs to be so it's great to have somebody behind you who was like you know so supportive of that and um wanting to play it to that sort of broader audience um, you're right in terms of the sort of the style of the show <clears throat> if we look at you know sketch shows over the last sort of you know 10 or 15 years or whatever they've lost popularity of course and the you know journalists are very fond of saying that the sketch show's dead i don't think it's dead at all it's just having a lie down i wanted to not reinvent because that makes me sound like a prick which I am, brackets. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it sort of in trying to bring a new approach to the to the sketch show. I looked back to, like, when I was growing up. When I was growing up, you know, it was all sort of multi-camera stuff, you know? It was all everything, sketch shows, sitcoms, all kind of multi-camera stuff. And, and it was that, you know, when I came of age in television, when it was sort of, when it was my turn to kind of make some stuff, and me and my sort of peers, we went single-camera mad. Because, you know, because we'd grown up with multi-camera and it was like, no, no, no. So, you know, you saw, like, you know, the royal family, which was Steve Bender, like, the way he shot that was like, ah, you know, this is incredible. And I did 15 stories with Sean and that was, you know, single single camera, wide, big, locked off shots. It was like, you know, we, we went mad. And I think the balance tipped in the favour of sort of single camera stuff. And so we just had, like, just loads and loads of uh, of stuff that kind of, in a way, lacked a little bit of warmth, you know. And I think we got to that place with sort of sketch shows. And when I was sort of planning this and knowing that I wanted to do this, I wanted to do something that was 
was completely different to all that. And I thought, well, let's go back. Let's look at those people when we were growing up. You saw Dave Allen's and your Morkman Wise and all that kind of stuff. And these were shows where you had, you know, the presenter, you know, the host come front and centre coming out, talking to the audience, you know. And it was personality. And that's what I think was missing. We were missing personality from sketch shows because we'd gone down this single camera road and there was a, a coolness and an irony to it and stuff. But there was <clears throat> very little warmth. So this and was that's why you wrap the show up with the, with the bits in the theatre? Yeah, the... yeah, absolutely. It was an attempt to go, here we go. You know, you think Dave Allen, for example. Dave Allen would, you know, be sitting there and he would talk about something. He would, oh, you know, the funny thing about, you know, funerals, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you're going into a funeral-based sketch. He's doing the setup. He's doing the feed and the, and, and the sketch is the tag. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, by doing a single camera thing, you, you're denying yourself all of those lovely little opportunities, to, you know, to do stuff like that. So I think that it was about, yeah, it was trying to, to, to bring a sort of warmth and a personality that felt like it was it was missing a little bit. You know, you look at something like Little Britain, which is probably the last big, big sketch show. Although those guys weren't out front and centre talking to the audience, you could see how much personality they had. You know, you could absolutely see it. And I think in something, in, in some other shows, you, you weren't really getting as much of that. So I think that that's what prompted that sort of, the sketch shows did that and sort of YouTube and all of that malarkey. So yeah, this was a very definite attempt to sort of pull it back in and go, let's do a big show and let's have a show that works on sort of multiple levels. Let's have, you know, let's have Jav provo uh, presenting the show to the audience, but let's catch the business between him and Omar and the announcer as well, so you get to see that. And then also, let's comment on the show. Let's let's have that goggle box element where we sit back. Because, you know, that's one of the things, when, when we did Phone Shop, you know, it was great. It was and it was when, like, and the Twitter was just sort of kicking in. That first series was sort of 2009, 2010. And so we were, for the first time, we were looking at people's reactions. And, you know, most of it was brilliant. But you do get those things where people go, what's the matter with this guy? Why has he got a big head? I mean, that's true. That, that was an ac an actual quote. You know, what's wrong with that guy? It's, it looks like a pineapple. You know, <laughs> sort of ridiculous. So we thought, well, you know, let's take the opportunity to do that as well. And Javon, he's a different voice, isn't he? And yes. At a time where you know the diversity agenda has become big in television, do you think that's important that that uh, the BBC's fostering new talent like this? Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. Absolutely, it can't not. Was be. it a risk? Do you think to commission this show? Yeah, it was. It was probably a risk. You know, as is borne out by those figures that aren't brilliant. It's still a show that needs to be made. The though. ratings you're talking about. Though, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so not, I mean, launched with four hundred thousand viewers. Yeah, but it's had decent reviews. I mean, what what have you made of that reception? I, it's had it's had it's had really good reviews, and it's a show that the BBC, to me, needed to do. You know, and it needed. You know, there's there's been a large portion of the BBC audience, right? who've been paying their licence fee for years and years and years and years and have had very little return on that. And so, you know, I think the BBC getting behind Javon's show and promoting it so heavily and giving us that opportunity, you know, hopefully we've repaid them with it and gone, you know, you look at Twitter, you look at that and you look how you've got so many people now, especially sort of black kids growing up going, this is brilliant, this is it, you know, this is what I've been waiting for, you know, and it should have happened a long time ago. You know, we had the real McCoy, didn't we? And, um, you know the three non-blondes, but these are sort of few and far between. So hopefully, you know, the BBC will get behind it now and they'll stick with it. Mm. And, um, Do you th Have you been pleased? Uh, I don't know how much detail you've had on the audience and, and the makeup of it. Has yeah. it been slightly different for BBC Two? I think there's a lot more black people watching it. <laughs> We're bringing black people to BBC Two. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I haven't really had, had the full... Yeah, I mean, you, you go off what you see on sort of social meds, really, and, you know... And what you uh, and you've been pleased with the response there. 
the response has been brilliant. It's been, you know, and, and from people as well that you didn't, that you, the, you know, people who would hate it, known haters have gone, yeah, yeah, this is okay. This is all right. He's doing okay. <laughs> have you managed to bring over some of the phone shop viewers, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people saying, you know, uh, you know, um, yeah, just saying I love phone shop. So I was watching this thinking it was going to be shit. But it's really good. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> it's interesting because Shane Allen has often <clears throat> talked about uh, social media being uh, quite counterproductive for comedy. Yes. People talking, you know, yeah. saying, oh, no, this is rubbish, dismissing things very quickly. Yeah, 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 straight off. Yeah. But you're saying it can have the opposite effect as well. Um, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, go and look at the the, the Twitter feed for, for Jav's show. Just look at it. It's, you know, it's sort of 98% really, really positive with a lot of people just expressing their sheer unalloyed joy at the fact that there's a show that talks to them. Because, you know, m- you know, my big thing, and I've talked to Shane about this in the past, my big thing's always been that we should make shows that reflect the lives of people who watch it, not the people who make it, and that happens too often. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, you've got this audience that's been massively underserved, here, have a look at this. Here's some stuff for you. And I know you touched on the sort of art of the sketch show. You don't buy into this theory that because of the proliferation of online comedy, you know, shorts online and things mm-hmm. like that, that the sketch show is no. uh, is is uh, is gone for good. No, no, not at all. It is. It's just it's resting in a darkened room for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't think that at all. You know, and and, and you look at stuff on you, but you, Channel you Four know, on, thing. On YouTube. Oh, well, they've decided to pull back from commissioning sketch shows. Yeah, well, it's it's you know clearly you know there's a reason for that for them, and it's not working for them at the moment. I, I mean, I think it would be foolish to discount the sketch show completely. And say no, we're absolutely never going to do another sketch show. You mm. know, times change, don't they? And uh, you know, years ago, remember the studio sitcom was gone. You know, and that was that was one of the big things at the BBC, sort of ten, fifteen years. We need to get a big audience sitcom, and, and people, you know, it was the same thing. It was like audience audience sitcoms are dead. And guess yeah. what? And then then you get Miranda, and you get Mrs Brown's Boys, and it's all yeah, those small shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's all changed again. So yeah, foolish to say, foolish to suggest that. It's Have dead. you thought about the way the Javon Prince show will work online and how you'll do things? There, I mean, I've noticed that you've pushed clips out. Yeah. Well, I say clips, entire entire sketches. Yes, yes, yeah. I was has that always, been conscious? Um, uh, yeah, it has. I was I was always sort of quite reluctant to give stuff away online in the past, especially when we were doing phone shop. And um, you know, because you're going, well, don't you're going to spoil it? That's a good bit. No, you want people to see it, but you know. I figure now the more people who can see, if you can push it out there and people share it around on social media, then you know you're more likely to bring a sort of bigger audience. Mm. You know. And what about phone shop? This has been borne out by our four hundred thousand viewers. <laughs> <laughs> what about phone shop? There's been a bit of talk in the last week or two that you might do a special. Oh God, no! Who said that? I, I no, I said <laughs> I that. saw it on Digital Spy. Yeah, no, no, no. The guy, the guy on Digital Spy said to me, you know, and I was like, no, oh, you know, we never know. We might do something again in the future. But uh, yeah, so you so you know, never rule it out. No, never rule it out. Yeah, you know, because phone shop was it was such fun. But you know, it used to take me it take me six months to write it, then six months to make it, and you haven't got time to do anything else. Do you know what I mean? And it was like, okay, I'd just like to have a little pop at something else for a while. So we never, you know, we were never cancelled. It was a sort of case like, oh, I'm just gonna have a rest from it for a while if that's all right, you know. So it would be lovely to do something in the future if we could get everybody back together. Yes. And uh, what else are you working on? Are you, can you can you talk to us about some I other projects? Can't possibly talk to you about any of that. No, I'm doing. Um, I'm doing. We've got. Um, there's a guy in the show called Samson Ko. He's the uh, the portly kid who's in the Abba sketch. You seen the Abba sketch where they're doing it? Him uh-huh. and Javon. He's a real star. This kid. He's so good and he's so funny. And we are talking to um, Channel Four about maybe doing a little thing with him. Um, 
because he's great. So we've got that on. And I'm, I'm, I'm writing a thing as well at the moment with um, lovely Lucy Montgomery, which is called Mum's Night Out. And now you're too young to have kids, Jake, clearly. <laughs> um, but if you've got kids and they're at school, um, then you will have been invited to a Mum's Night Out. And these are hideous affairs. <laughs> uh, the so it's not going to be a sitcom, is it? Yeah, yeah. And the counterpoint to the Mum's Night Out is the Dad's Night In as well. And I've been to some of those. And they're <laughs> horrible affairs. <laughs> so I just, I we're trying to write something uh, about that. Is moment. that with a specific channel in mind? Uh, we're doing it We're doing it for Channel 4. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So so that's really exciting. And it's nice to be, um, I, I tend to write on my own um, a lot. Uh, because that way I figure I can't really disappoint anybody else other than myself but you know it's the first time writing with somebody writing with lucy is that it's really it's really nice it's a really kind of good good experience so it's a it's a bit of a departure for me and also with having the company now having lovely electricity you've been doing sort of so many things as well that you know to just for me to be locked away in a room for six months writing something you know is probably uh, counterproductive all the best with the rest of the javon print show which continues on sunday at nine forty-five on bbc2 On to our third and final act, and as usual, it's previews time. Uh, back in the studio are Chris Curtis and Stephen D. Wright, and our first stop this week is BBC One's Partners in Crime from Endor Productions. One of the first adaptations as part of the BBC deal with the Agatha Christie estate, it stars David Williams and Jessica Rain as fictional detectives Tommy and Tuppence in 1950s Britain. Here the pair attempt to find out more about a missing woman from Tommy's MI6 agent uncle. You need, you need to uh, forget all about it, uh, put it... Put it right out of your mind altogether. Well, at least tell us what you suspect. Abduction? Murder? Thank you so much uh, for dinner. Uh, it was... No, no, I, I, I couldn't possibly. It's all... It's all... Hush, hush. That's what it is. That's a pity. It's about to be rather more loud, loud. You tell him, Tommy. We just put an advertisement in the paper. You did what? The Times. Asking for any information regarding the disappearance of Jane Finn. Stephen, enjoy this? I really enjoyed it. I was a bit like, oh no. And then all of a sudden, that was it. I was hooked. I enjoyed it. I thought it was more comic than I was expecting, which I really enjoyed. The fact that it actually had proper comedy in there. Interestingly, David Walliams first took it to the BBC, so... Yeah, I mean, I yeah. just think, well, I just think it really worked. It, it was, it's obviously Sunday night type viewing, you know, um... Following The Outcast, which was the most depressing show I've ever seen in the last two weeks, you know, that was Kill Yourself TV. This was kind of, you know, sit and eat a box of chocolates and enjoy yourself. I thought he was great. I thought his wife, Tuppence, was brilliant. I think she's the real star in the show. But the thing that really uh, impressed me was they were using genuine London locations. It wasn't Manchester pretending to be London in the 1950s. Was You know, there's bits of London with obviously heavy set dressing. But you could see the money. You could see the money on screen. And I just thought it really worked nicely. And, and I like the fact it's a serial as opposed to self-contained apps. And, you know, I will watch this next week. I'll watch it the week after. You know, this is my, this could potentially become another little sort of Downton-style treat, you know. The BBC would love that, wouldn't it? <laughs> it certainly would. I, I was less keen. I struggled a bit with the tone of this because it, it seemed to me in that first episode to veer a little bit between the, the sort of comic touches and then it all got a bit sinister when... Um, Tuppence went into a bookies and and I quite uh, like that though. Yeah, I, but I, it, uh, it threw the the pace of it a bit, and you yeah, weren't expecting that. No, you weren't. For me, it jarred, and I struggled a bit to believe that this 
affable, bumbling, beekeeping sort of fool was suddenly going to transform into a into a bit more of a uh, hard nosed sleuth, and I didn't I, I didn't really sort of buy it. I know I'm not supposed to buy it. It's a sort of suspension of disbelief piece. I think it'll probably do very well. You could certainly see the money on screen. It looked fantastic, um, and there are lots of. I found myself chuckling along, but but I struggled a bit with the 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 tone of the the comic touches with the more sort of sinister espionage plotline. See, I, I quite like the fact that David Williams is still a fool at the end of the show. You know, it's his, his wife is the brains, mm. and they are amateurs. You know, and so what you normally get in these kind of programs is some suddenly, you know, they're experts. They know how to do everything. They kept making mistakes, kept doing things stupidly, and and acting naive. And that was actually, I thought, that was more credible. You know, that the fact that they are they they're not suddenly great sleuths. They're kind of bumbling, and they're still bumbling. So, you know, I mean, as a, as a kind of period version of heart to heart, you know, I really loved it. You're going to stick with it. Same oh, it yeah. Seems. Good. All right. Partners in Crime begins this Sunday at 9pm on BBC One. Uh, our final preview this week is BBC Three's The Unbreakables, Life and Love on Disability Campus. The Minnow film series forms part of BBC Three's Define the Label Disability Season and follows the lives of students at National Star College in Gloucestershire. In this clip from the first of three episodes, Zenon and Nash are asked about their love lives. Like, I will say staff do monitor our relationships because I think sometimes they worry that we might jump in too deep. Yeah, um, so early on in, in the relationship. And get... But we're not, we're not going to do that. We're adults. We, we know what the technicalities are. It's not like you're going to jump on her and, like... Do you know what I mean? Oh, sorry about my roommate. Of course I'm not going to flipping jump on her. Chris, this is local to you, isn't it, the, the college? Yeah, my part of the world, Gloucestershire. Um, it's well known in that area for doing very good work. And uh, I loved this. I just thought it was refreshing and different and wasn't sort of patronising. That sort of little clip that we that we just just heard, you know, there was there was there was comedy in it. There's this, you know, visually what you've got is these two guys who are you know, fairly major, they've got fairly major physical disability. They're both in wheelchairs and the, the one young guy says to the other guy, it's not like you're going to jump on her or something. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek sort of humour. They're very self-aware. It's, it, it's, oh, there's it, black comedy and everything. black comedy mm-hmm. in it. It's really lovely. And, you know, things like just seeing these young people, you know, they go, they go to the pub and they have a t- mm-hmm. the guy's sort of like chatting up the local women in the pub or trying to and um, uh, you see youngsters sort of snogging and a few and it sort of takes that normal teenage sort of obdocky idea and puts it through the prism of disability but the disability feels like just a perfectly natural part of it it's, yeah the, the I mean, tone's I like, beautiful i like the fact that they don't do a rundown of what each person's disability is every time they're introduced which is what you see often on television yeah, no, i mean well these people weren't defined by their disability they were defined by their personalities you know there was the the, the randy one the the sort of narcissistic one the the kind of overbearing one, you know, I mean, it wasn't the the guy in the wheelchair. This, the guy, you know, it was like that wasn't it. it was it was it was who's naive, who's who's confident, who's scared, you know, who's randy. That was one yeah. of the things that I thought was really interesting. You know, I know that disabled people have sexual feelings. I just never see it on screen. And to me, that was the it was the simple fact that these people were being treated completely openly and honestly and were allowed to do anything and make mistakes and and, and you know and fuck up. That was what was so revealing. And I thought, felt like, why well, have I never seen this before? It's taken a disability season to actually see this kind of stuff rather than, you know, everybody on that, on that screen was, uh, had, had their own story. Do you know what I mean? Mm. 
Um, and it was it was great. And I, I particularly enjoyed the fact that you hardly got involved with their families. It was them and their own. It was yeah. the, they were students, you know, and they were they were doing all the things that students do, you know, and, and all the stupid things and all the kind of naive and, uh, you know, uh, it was and it really captured that. It was I thought it was a really great program. And what about the way it was made and the, the access? I think I think the access was brilliant. I think um, I was desperate to know what the college must have thought because it was like, are they? Because because I was thinking, oh, they're going to be protecting these kids and whatever, but they, they didn't seem to. They just it was like, do what you like, you know. And some of them come across as complete knobs, you know what I mean? The guy who who has that sort of um, uh, alter ego of a retired uh, footballer, retired footballer yeah. he's like a comedy character, but at the same time, you don't laugh at him. You know, you look and you 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 know, it's funny. It is funny. Mm. But it's heartbreaking at the same time, and it's like, and the fact that he kind of is too much for that young girl from mm. Wales and everything is, you know, you get caught up in this, but because that's where the sort of the story was. There was a great story, great drama. Yeah, it was, it was a, you know, it was a compulsive narrative, and very poignant at the end because you know some of the people who are leaving and they don't want to go back home because when they do go back home, they've got no friends. Mm. They're a burden on their family. They're suddenly they are very disabled and whatever. Whereas in this incredible college, they have a normal run of life or whatever. No, I thought I thought it was incredible programming. Really, really, really. I mean, just so rare to see this kind of stuff. The, the best thing I thought about the access. You talk about the access. And we've had a lot of access docs on, and you know that if you're getting access to a bank or a company or a, um, a, a hotel or whatever it is, that, that it's going to kind of be monitored. What was nice, like Stephen said. It didn't feel like there were college members of staff no. sat behind the camera of every interview. Clearly, the director built up a great rapport with these kids. They were happy to talk. They were happy to share things. You know, Stephen talked about the the, the, the young lad with the the alter ego. There's a great moment when he's talking to his dad. This tick that he has that he believes he's played for Man United and Everton and scored all these goals. His, his, his dad says, yeah, it's harmless enough, but it's a bit irritating. Mm-hmm. And, and you just sort of get a, an insight into... No, it's, it, well, there were lots of emotional highs and lows, but a lot of it was about normal everyday life and how these people are, are, are sort of are getting on. And uh, you know, congratulations to to Minna, done a great job on on this piece. Yeah, it's well worth watching. Uh, the Unbreakables begins on the 30th of July on BBC Three. And that's a wrap for another edition of Talking TV. Thanks to Phil Bowker, Steve D. Wright, and Chris Curtis. If you enjoyed the show, why not give us a shout out on Twitter, rate us on iTunes, or if you're a traditionalist, write us a letter. We'll love you forever. Until next time, I've been Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to Broadcast, talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 